Hello everyone, I'm Mark, the chief writer here at Maltopia, and I just wanted to remind you the sleep-wake cycle is but one of a series of interconnected horror podcasts within the wide and weird world of Maltopia. For Easter eggs, crossover events, and additional lore, please check out our other series, The Shepherd of Wolves, Red Mother, Grimland, and The Damnation Machine. And be sure to check out our free content on our Patreon page for additional lore and stories. For even more Maltopia content, consider becoming a patron. Starting for as little as $2 a month, benefits range from additional art, update videos, early episode access, our mini-podcast series, October's Children, both written and full audio pieces, such as The Lost Library, Tales of Maltopia, and The Weird Book. You can also gain access to our found footage show, The Weird Tape Series, and even our Patreon-exclusive, fully-produced audio series, Devil's Clay. So, with all that said, I will leave you to the darkness. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Sneaking pills back into the silentage wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. Turns out my pale field worked just fine on him. Which, from the uh, look on his face, he wasn't sure of what to make of. I didn't bother to ask, but I assumed it might have been one of the few times, uh, maybe even the only time, he didn't have the whole world's hidden thoughts stuffed into that big melon of his. Be that as it may... It sure as hell didn't make me feel anymore for the guy. Tough luck is no excuse for a body count. Or at least not a body count of innocent people. Once we got him inside, Dr. Haskell hooked him up to something called a neural regulator. A big thing. All lit up with glowing telemetry, strung with metal coils, and topped off by a big transparent helmet of sorts. Apparently it allowed the operator of the thing to selectively control, to some degree, the mental state of whoever was locked up inside it. The machine also took a shit ton of juice to operate, which put a pretty big strain on the central generator, causing several other systems to power down during the duration of its use. But, with pills being partially immune to the Pale Stone, they were just going to have to suck it up. And, from what Haskell told us, the machine would be working overtime given the power requirements to steer Pills' mind. It was either that or I kept my field on him the whole time, which uh, was neither possible nor desirable. Speaking of my Pale Field... After the job, and after keeping pills tamped down on the return leg, I was about kaput. I felt cold and heavy, my mind just a brick of dull, pointless thoughts. I suppose it was better than what used to happen whenever I pressed my limits. Limits that seemed to have been uh, appreciably extended since my visit to the White Woods. Or having croaked. Or both. 
And now, thanks to Pills's big mouth, I had to find some way to come clean about the whole woods thing with Romy. Hopefully, whatever secrets she was holding back would turn our upcoming truth session into a wash. But it was hard to imagine her keeping anything as big as the mechanical forest or the monstrous woman who ran it in the closet. It was already mid-morning by the time Pills was tucked in, so we all broke for a little rest and relaxation. Romy whisked Haskell into a private conversation just before she joined me in the hallway. She looked awful. I thought she might have even been crying. She was silent all the way back to our rooms. She wouldn't even look at me. Romy, you, uh, you look like... You want to tell me what's happening? I do, but I don't know how together I am to discuss it right now. I'm practically dead on my feet. It's been non-stop since we got here. And you don't look so good either. Look, I know you don't sleep, but I think we could both use a rest before we start cracking into things. Things that'll require us to be firing on all cylinders. Yeah, okay. I guess you're probably right. I'll, um, I'll head down to the research library, see if I can't find something to relax to. Go get some sleep and just call me if you need me. Will do, and same goes for you. Enjoy your reading. After a quick shower and a trip to the kitchen for a tall glass of chocolate milk, I was on my way to the library. Passing a few armored members of Astarian's gang, I was happy to see that the rest of the way to the library was uh, clear of goons. As it turned out, the research library came equipped with all the intellectual amenities. Some comfy chairs, mood lighting, and most importantly, a vintage record player and some vinyl for the spinning. I assumed it was Mesmer's doing, given that Haskell didn't strike me as the vinyl sort, more the cassette type, I wagered. The collection was small, but got right to the point. Chopin's Nocturnes, some Brahms, Stravinsky, even some Philip Glass. But ultimately I went for some uh, Rachmaninoff, Isle of the Dead. Seemed to fit the mood well enough. All that was left at that point was to select a book and enjoy the calm before the next storm. My reading options were fairly drab, no rambling musings on ethics or metaphysics, just texts filled with cold hard facts and their various applications. I was about to settle on a book exploring the role of the infamous Philip experiment within the development of crypto-naturalism when I came across a slim volume entitled The Book of Echoes, A Theory of Recurrence. It was an interesting take on some of Jung's work, something the author dubbed the conservation of information hypothesis. According to the theory, much of the great darkness could be put down to the material externalization of implicit forces, psychocultural information that had been repressed 
in favor of more pro-social ideas and projects. I had to wonder if one of the researchers was trying to get a new angle on the dim. Having been in the stuff a time or two, I could definitely smell what the author, uh, one Max Anthony, was cooking. He compared normative reality to explicit consciousness, the part that other people see, the stuff we choose to share with the outside world. Non-standard reality, as in the case of the Great Darkness, Anthony aligned with the mind's deepest turmoil, the royal of subconscious fears, angers, traumas, all the stuff that we keep bottled up. Seemed that this Max Anthony took the Great Darkness as a moment when, for whatever reason, reality favored an internal rather than an external view of the universe. I couldn't say it wasn't a compelling angle, especially after he broke out all the quantum stuff, that the Great Darkness was sort of like a horrific superposition, or at the very least, a composite of all the sick shit filling up the murky depths of our heads. I was just getting to the good stuff about quantum entanglement and shared dreams, when, out of nowhere, I started feeling like something was moving inside me, pushing against my bones. It was a sensation of utter violation, something that shouldn't be stepping into the hallways of my body. Ah! I dropped the book to the floor as I tried to brace myself against the arms of the chair. My body, my sense of self warping into something alien and cold. It was as if my mind and bodily sensations were being mapped upon something that wasn't human, but rather a rambling shape with too many rooms to count. Something piled up from cold stones. Something used to reinforce the waning strength of sunlit logic. My body was taking the shape of the silentage. I could feel hundreds of footsteps within me, dozens of voices. But one very specific set of footsteps sounded the hardest against my new, cold, white flesh. They'd just come inside, their pent-up, septic darkness wanting nothing more than to flood my body. I hated it without thought a reflex born of ageless contests, and then the feeling vanished. I stood up immediately and made for the front gates, where I knew, felt, the invading presence had entered the silentage. Rounding the corner, I caught sight of a gang of shadows. They swept through the outer hall like a black flood, the billowing skirts of their long, dark robes whispering across the cold stone floor. Leading the grim procession was a tall figure, his face a mask of crawling darkness. Even when struck directly by the light, his face defied illumination. Though his eyes, beady little points of bottomless black, were visible enough. Like two little holes that led into perpetual night, they just bobbed along under the lights, unbothered, undiminished. The group of them were about to pass by me before I realized that Mesmer and Haskell, along with a bunch of lab coats, had lined up across the hall from me, waiting to politely receive the newcomers, no doubt. I hung back in the shadows. I didn't need any introduction. I already knew the guy's name. Everyone, may I introduce Spider Black. 
He's come a very long way, and I hope we can all show him every kindness for the duration of his stay. Why, thank you, Dr. Mesmer. But it is I who should thank all of you for allowing me to peruse the fruits of your collective labor. I find the work you've been doing here fascinating. Thank you so much, uh, Spider. Please, call me Dr. Black. And I understand it was Dr. Haskell's research into the dim and the mollifying effects of the Pale Stone that first shaped this program of yours, yes? Yes, Dr. Black. I've been lead scientist here at the Silentage for quite some time now. Once we began quartering psychotypes here for research, the dim just showed up apparently attracted to the localized effects they exerted upon reality. I'd also like to offer my condolences for the former assistant Mysterian, Thurston Gand. I understand that he passed away only very recently. Thank you. And yes, did you know the assistant Mysterian? No, but his father and I had business on several occasions. I'm certain that whatever comes from this meeting of ours, it will honor his memory and the good work you've all done here. I know it will. And now, I'll have my people show you to your rooms. And then I'd like all of you to join me for lunch. That sounds wonderful. Lead the way, good doctor. I didn't know what happened to me in the library, why I was able to tap into the silentage itself, but I knew one thing for damn sure. Spider Black was bad news. Lying to Isaiah was becoming a bad habit, but there were just certain things that were better left only to me, which was the exact sort of sentiment that infirmed his own lies. Although the part about me being nearly dead on my feet was far from a lie, maybe even an understatement. Every fiber of my mind and body was sore from the effort of lifting the dim, pitching it at the freighter. And I was nearing the breaking point about just how much I might have damned my brother and me. The worst thing about Pill's offer was that I knew it was sincere. There was no wimping out by claiming that he was crazy and therefore untrustworthy. He was leveling with me and the shit he could have told me was every inch as bad as he made out. All that meant only one thing. Everything that happened from there on out was my fault. I had officially taken responsibility for the shit that might, would happen to us. Worst of all was that I made the decision without Isaiah. I knew, just as much as I knew Pills was on the level, 
that my brother would let the world burn if it meant saving me. For him, there was only the two of us, the Strouds against the world. But me? I couldn't take a chance on letting innocent people die. I wasn't Isaiah. I couldn't live with that much blood on my hands. I could only hope, pray if I had to, that I didn't just wash my hands of the world's blood, only to stain them with my own brothers. All that was left to me was to sort this all out on my own. I couldn't involve Isaiah in any of it yet. I knew what he'd do. He'd try to make me leave. He'd do anything and everything to see me to safety. Even so, I couldn't help but wonder what part of the puzzle he might be carrying around. Pills mentioned something about the forest of machines I'd seen. He seemed to allude to it having something to do with whatever Isaiah had been keeping from me. But I'd have to cross that bridge when I came to it. I didn't want to get into a conversation I might regret. Not just yet. Slipping into dream was like taking a dip in a cold lake. It refreshed me, evaporating the woes of my body, if not my mind. The remaining mental burden only intensified, negating whatever I'd gained for ignoring my physical body. Almost immediately, the gathering dream began to foam and leap, reflecting the anguish I'd suffered for taking on the dim. I threw my arms out like I was parting the Red Sea, quelling the rebellious dream stuff that had been riled up. My trip across the storm-tossed sea had primed the dream into a darksome underwater vision, wherein I slowly drifted down onto the blackened, unseen, unknowable depths. Descending deeper, bodies began to drift upward from the black. All were in various states of decay, but not so much that I couldn't tell them apart. There was Isaiah, of course. Mesmer, Shane, Captain Adam Gilstrix, Gand, Fajin, and naturally, my mother. I just looked away and continued downward, quickening my descent by becoming a monstrosity of tentacle and maw, surging through the water at breakneck speed. Once I'd achieved the bottom, I picked through the shadows, sifting through dead dreams. Squeezing myself into a small hole, I found a massive protrusion of rock. I explored the new darkness, alighting finally on the strands of a web I'd spun myself, when once I was a spider. With the now-submerged dream of webs located, I drifted to the tatters where the inhuman psychic from the Consortium of Doors, Asterion, had been captured. I could taste the fluttering fragments of his mind still fresh and floating in the brine. My tentacles closed round the first shard of alien thought, a memory it seemed. A strange vision commenced to unfold, of a vast city under the earth, gilded by lush, glowing foliage. Towering pillars reached up to the solid, cracked sky, which loomed miles above the alien metropolis. Everywhere were inhuman statues, yet they were not lowly things for their inhumanity but regal creatures with chiseled features and high brows. And while they possessed wide mouths filled with dagger-like teeth, they aimed pensive stares that remarked upon a high level of intellect, likely much higher than our own human variety. I shook involuntarily, realizing just what sort of being I tried to ensnare within my imaginary webs, what it might have been capable of doing to me. Just that small glimpse into the monster's memories allowed me to appreciate the sheer power of its mind. It was beyond anything I'd ever encountered. 
Following the memory where it led, I finally saw the beings who built the city and raised the statues, what Asterion looked like under all that armor. And they were far more fearsome than even the statues. But what the statues had left out were the creature's eyes, small explosions of brilliant light. The imagery began to fade against perhaps the most fearsome feature of the memory, some kind of gigantic machine that leered across the city, a thing that seemed as much flesh as steel. I couldn't help but recall Pill's talk about the machine he was afraid he'd be taken to when they brought him below. Asterion's memory was a pretty good match. With the memory exhausted, I closed on the next. This time it was a snippet of a conversation. Castilian has betrayed us all. I can only hope that you will renew the dignity of your kind by serving as the new underlord of the Hanuma, my right hand under the earth. I will serve as long as breath fills my body. And if possible, beyond. Then I give to you, Astarian, the new Underlord of Rotha. The memory was short and sweet but it continued to flesh out the nature of the monstrous creature who shared space with us inside the Silentage. And it was entirely likely that all the powered armored guards were also members of this inhuman race, the Hanuma. The last recollection was even smaller, but I could feel the fury coming from it, an inferno burning within the coil of my twisting pseudopod. The memory exploded open like a bomb, and I flinched from the blast wave. It was like a scene from hell. Monsters of all shapes and sizes, all of them fighting tooth and claw and mandible and horn against an army of the armored Hanuma. The clash was apocalyptic, something right out of the pages of the Bible. Explosions and alien abominations painted the landscape with a violence beyond anything man could conceive, let alone rival. Asterion charged through the thick of the massing monsters, his alien polearm, something like a massive radiant axe, tearing flesh and rending bone. All the while, the monsters crowded him, their legions of claws and maws coming at him from all sides. Yet he still pressed forward, his own inhuman legions forming next to him, their blazing firearms turning back the ravening tides. The memory was changing the dream, turning it into a den of demons, all of them swarming around me. The memory concluded with a thunderclap. Some kind of a weapon exploding within the demonic legions. It opened slowly, like the whispered petals of a towering flower, blossoming into a thunderhead that collapsed both the memory and the dream. Oh... What the hell have we gotten ourselves into?
The Sleep-Wake Cycle is a Maltopia production. Today's episode was written by Mark Anzalone and performed by Kelly Bear and Mark Anzalone. The episode was edited by Walker Kornfeld, and sound production and editing was performed by Stephen Anzalone. Be sure to check us out at www.maltopia.com and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Maltopia. That's M-A-E-L-T-O-P-I-A. If you want unique art and animations of Maltopia's stories, visit our YouTube page or click on the link in the show notes. If you're a fan and want to help the show grow, be sure to rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And for more exclusive content, such as additional lore, stories, and art, be sure to check out our Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Maltopia. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.